Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, August 30th, 2021. Well, folks, today's the podcast you've all been waiting for. Yeast infections. Everyone gets them, but nobody wants to talk about them. So that's where the podcast steps in. For today's podcast, Stephanie Lamb returns to talk about this common issue for women. We talk about the various vaginal infections or symptoms that women get and try to go through them in a way that is understandable and not too unpleasant. On Thursday, we have a very interesting and ambitious high-risk birth stories podcast. I'm going to try to tackle the subject of home births in this Thursday's high-risk birth story as well as next week's. So if you have any interest in that topic or just want to hear women talk about it, definitely check that out. We will have a podcast next Monday on Labor Day. How could we not? For OBs, that's our holiday. And in fact, we're going to have a podcast specifically about labor. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. See you Thursday for High Risk Birth Stories, the home birth edition. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Steph Lamb, welcome back to the podcast. How you doing? I couldn't stay away. <laughs> well, you know, this is a thrilling topic. You really wanted to talk about infections and inflammation of the vagina. If I say that 50% of my day could be spent on this topic, just seeing patients, it, it makes me happy to talk about it. Right. It's a good thing you're a gynecologist. Yeah. Better than a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> you're trained. You know, yeah, you're trained. So it's all good. It's my sweet spot. People don't want to talk about this, but as you said, everybody's got it. Oh, yeah. It is so common. I mean, what would you guess? Like, probably in a given year, 10 to 20% of people are going to have this or the complaints of this at least, right? Yeah. I mean, um, and I think probably even more than that. Yeah. People, people try to take care of it at home. They don't necessarily have a doctor who they see. They'll buy something over the counter, try to make it better. But yeah, probably a good 20, 25% of patients will have something at some point. Yeah. And I think the reason I want to do this podcast is, A, it's just lovely to see you, obviously, to Me talk too. to. But B, I think that a lot of people just know symptoms, right? They know I have itching, I have burning, I have discharge, I have pain, whatever it is. And they see the doctor and they get some treatment and it works or doesn't work. But, you know, we, we don't think of it in terms of the symptom. We think of it sort of what's the cause? Is it normal or abnormal? And if it's abnormal, why and what can we do? And sort of, and to, to give our listeners kind of an insight into that way of thinking so they understand a little better, like what we're doing and why we would recommend one thing versus another. Because uh, again, people just, they don't, why would they know these things? They just know what they feel. So what is it that would bring someone to see you? What is like the most common complaint regarding what we call vaginitis? That's the medical term for it. Right. So I think in general, when someone thinks that something's wrong, the most typical symptom that they may notice or something that they, they either have itching, itching on the vulva area, mm -hmm. the outside of the lips, as we mm -hmm. like to say, they notice a vaginal odor or mm -hmm. a smell, something smells off, they feel unfresh, or if they have a discharge. The thing that people need to know is, is that every woman will have a discharge and a discharge is normal right. to some degree. Uh, and people have a change in the discharge or their change in secretions, depending upon the time of the month and also based upon hormones. But if that discharge or that change in, in what, what's coming out of the vagina has a color to it, or it seems to be heavier than normal, or it's 
tinged with some blood or something like that, that would be another cue that they should probably reach out to the doctor. So itching, odor, irritation, burning, those are probably the top four symptoms that I would say that would lead a patient to call the office, say that they want to be seen. Right. Are there circumstances where, let's say someone said, well, whatever, I can deal with the symptoms, this or that, where it's actually not healthy for them or could be dangerous? Or is this all about really just making them feel better in a sense, which is valuable. I'm just saying, Britt, is there any you know danger or is it just about symptoms? No, I think the vast majority of things that are going to bother patients are probably you know, fine. And over time, it's either not going to get better. It's going to bother them so much that they can't think about anything else but their vagina or their vulva. And they're going to come in. In a rare case, if patients have persistent itching or irritation or burning, there can be certain dermatologic or skin issues of the vulva that they really should see a medical professional about. Otherwise, it can lead to a precancer such as lichen sclerosis or lichen, you know, simplex. Those things can't be treated with a yeast medication or another medication. Those need steroids. Right. I mean, so if you have a patient where there's a persistent spot that's bothering them or a change in the color or the texture of their skin, something's growing, then yeah, they should not be taking care of it or kicking the can down the road and kind of come in to get seen. Right. And a lot of people are concerned about let's say, sexually transmitted infections, you know, STIs or STDs, would they present the same way or would they present present differently? I mean, if someone has these symptoms, is there a chance that in fact, it's like a sexually transmitted infection behaving this way? Or is it very unusual for that to be the case? So when we look at what patients come in for and for what symptoms, there's things that are not sexually transmitted and can just be an overgrowth or the change of the bacteria of the vagina, such as Mm -hmm. a yeast infection. There's fungus. That fungus and why people get yeast infections can be precipitated or brought on by antibiotic use too much alcohol, too many carbs or sweets, wearing a wet bathing suit or staying in clothes that they worked out in for too long. Those are things that could bring on a yeast infection. You can have a bacterial infection that's not a sexually transmitted disease. Those also are a change in the pH. Typically, those symptoms, they may notice an odor, an irritation, a burning when they urinate, typically not a sexually transmitted disease. Things specifically like if they notice a blister, a Mm -hmm. cut, burning, those can be a sign of herpes. Those specifically, they should be seen. I think chlamydia and gonorrhea, change in the color of the discharge or if your partner is complaining of something. So like you have to also listen to what your partner is, is saying or if it's a new sexual partner and you have no idea, you should come in for a checkup. But those, I think, are the, the hallmarks of the major things. Right. And then you have issues why women come to the doctor in menopause. Once estrogen starts to drop, your vulva and the vagina typically become dry and people can get burning and dryness. And those are non-sexually transmitted issues. And we can help you with that as well. Yeah. And what you said at the beginning, which is really true about you know the, the bacteria versus yeast, sometimes called candida or yeah, fungus. Candida. It's all the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeast, candida, fungus are the same thing. Uh, essentially, the way I always learned it is the vagina is lined by this, what we call a mucous membrane, right? So it's, it is a membrane, meaning it's a barrier, but it's not like skin where that sort of is very, the histological term is keratinized, right? Skin is a little like tougher, whereas the a mucous membrane is more like the, the inside of someone's lips, for it's example. Sensitive. Like it, it really yeah, is more subjective yeah. to lots of whatever's yeah. going on inside it the abs- vagina. It absolutely can be very sensitive, but also the environment that's there because of sort of it makes this glycogen, which is like a sugar product. The idea, though, is that there's these bacteria that are supposed to be there, right? The vagina is not supposed to be a sterile environment. It has a pH. It's supposed to be, if you're going to look at acidic and alkaline, 
there's certain levels that we're supposed to have where homeostasis, where yeah. you know, kind of your happy sweet spot is. Yeah. And that all can be set off and off balance based upon how we live our lives. And so, you know, I think when we look at our patients here, we really do believe in, and it sounds a little hokey, but I truly do believe in the, the mind, the body, the whole way of how you look at a patient. And so what you eat, how you treat it, are you drinking enough water? Are you taking medications? All of that kind of can set it off a little bit. Sure. So when patients come in or they call the nurses and they say, I was on antibiotics for a sinus infection and they have some itching or irritation, those are certain keywords that will lead us to think of what maybe they're coming in with. But yeah, the the lining of the vagina, those cells are very different than the cells on our arms or legs and they're much more subjective and sensitive to yeah. what's going on. Since there's this sort of typical environment that's there, Right. And there's supposed to be bacteria in there. There's always a small amount of candida or yeast in there. They, they live there. They're supposed to be there. If you mess with that system and they sort of, you get too many of one and too little of the other, right? If you get too many yeast, too little bacteria, if you kill off the bacteria, the yeast take over and you get a yeast infection. Correct. Or if you kill off the yeast, the bacteria, the bacteria can take over and you and get those. That's when you get those, those infections associated with whatever it is that you now have an overgrowth of. Right. Which is why when you, talk to patients or you hear about probiotics yeah. or you talk about things that are more of a holistic health approach, yeah. how you can even out the pH or the bacteria of the vagina. Those are kind of things that can try to improve or decrease the risk of getting recurrent vaginitis right. or BV or yeast. And so people do believe in probiotics. They do believe in yogurt and kefir. Yeah. They do believe in boric acid, that type yeah. of stuff. Right. Which is also why typically it's not recommended that women use any like cleansing products. Like a douche or something like that. Yeah, because like that. It's, that's like, it sounds like a great idea, but you're basically just washing out bacteria that are supposed to be there and you're going to end up getting growth of stuff that is it's not, not supposed, supposed to be, be there. there. Exactly. And so it's it's not a good idea. Yeah, I say the, leave yeah. the vagina alone. <laughs> leave it <laughs> be. Leave it be. <laughs> leave it be. So, so someone comes to you, a new patient or someone you know has a new complaint and she's coming to you and essentially it's of that ilk, right? I have burning, I have itching, I have discharge. What are the ways that you might evaluate what is causing that? I assume you start just like a history. history. You can get over right. the phone or in the office. So what are the types of questions you might ask her? So first I look at the age of the patient. Two, I ask, uh, are you sexually active? Mm -hmm. Have you had any new sexual partners? Three, any change in diet, exercise, any medications that you're taking? Interestingly, we've seen, or at least seen it in the office, more vaginitis and, and vaginal complaints, even so silly things like pelotoning. You know, people now are cycling more than ever. Right, right, right. You know, you're home, you're COVID, you're right. trying to exercise more. They're cycling, they're irritated, and they're also staying in wet when mm -hmm. yoga clothes more than more than not. So are they exercising differently? New medications? Are you taking anything different? More alcohol? Have you been partying? Any hot tubs, vacations, wet bathing suits? So I asked my history. Then I kind of bring the patient in the room. We have them change. And then we do a careful exam. You look with the light on. You're looking at the outside first. In addition, like what are their complaints, right? So there are certain buzzwords or trigger things that may lead me in a direction of what I'm thinking. Patient may say, I have no new sexual partners. I took antibiotics and I have a white discharge, no odor. That may lead me down the road of thinking a yeast infection. Right. And so I use that history. I use the things that they're complaining of and I take a look. And then based upon that, I kind of think in my head, okay, this is what I see. And then there's certain easy cultures or lab tests that we can do in the office. Usually we'll do a culture to look for a bacterial infection and a yeast infection. Often, depending upon their partner, I may do a culture for gonorrhea chlamydia. 
There's also a culture for trichomonas, which is a sexually transmitted disease that also mimics maybe a bacterial infection. And then lastly, sometimes we'll send off a urine culture because urinary yeah. complaints can mimic. And then back in the olden days, we used to have a microscope and we used to do slide right. tests and kind of really be more Back clinicians. in the 20th century, in the 1900s. Correct. In 1996, <laughs> we used to use a microscope. Back in the 1900s, when we used microscopes. Correct. Now we don't. Um, so that's another way. So basically, right. you look. That was called the wet listen, mount, the right? Wet mount. Yeah. And then remember, I'm going to age you as well. Like we were, they used to have pH paper that sure. you could take a little Q-tip and use a pH. And if the pH was high, you yeah, think yeah, it was yeah. one thing or no. Oh, we don't do that anymore? Not yeah. so much. So anyway, you send your culture. I'm a retired gynecologist, so I, I, I know TV. I know of these things, but don't do a lot of treatment. For so it. all over the country, you could still be using these yeah. things in the office. But nonetheless, if it looks like a yeast infection, it sounds like a yeast infection. Yeah. Looks like a duck, it quacks. Yeah. We most likely will treat you for a yeast infection before the cultures come back, right. because why should you suffer? Same thing with a bacterial infection. If it looks like it, we'll treat it in the office. Right. As far as sexually transmitted diseases, some things are quite obvious. If it looks like herpes, we usually yeah. will treat you. And then the things that are non non that and that may be age related like menopausal yeah. symptoms it's, that's called an atrophic right atrophic vaginitis yeah, yeah. Stephanie those... smiles because she's so happy i remembered that i did if yeah. it wasn't a cerclage yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so for those then you can apply a different treatment like estrogen and that type of stuff right. so you know, I think a good history, taking a good look and taking some cultures will give you a lot of right. information within a couple of days right and it would seem to me that probably uh, of all the people who come in 90 percent of them at least are going to have a diagnosis of a yeast infection, a, bacter a bacterial infection, right. atrophic vaginitis, or maybe trichomonas or urine infection. Yeah, those would be like the least likely the least, of the four. Uh, yeah, those would be the most common. And then I yeah. will say occasionally we do have people, uh, you know, other skin disorders. People have eczema or psoriasis. You can yeah, get those sure. in the vulvar area. Right. Or just allergies. Allergies, yeah, you yeah. know, topical. They use something that's irritating them. But it, there's probably 10 common things, all of yeah. which are pretty much, if you see your gynecologist in the office, we pretty much can treat you and make you feel better immediately. Right. And it's interesting because it's one of these things where you don't want to guess, like you want to get it right. Because for example, if it's a bacterial infection and you and someone treats it over the phone and thinks it's a yeast infection, you're going to give them something against yeast. It'll make the bacterial infection worse. Because right. you just, like the yeast are trying to grow back and you're claiming, or on the flip side, if you think it's a bacterial, bacterial infection, infection, and in fact, it's a yeast infection, same problem. So you have to, you know, some of this stuff can be done over the phone, potentially if there's no option, yeah. but it's a gamble. And you really want to be checked and have someone take a look because you want to get that one right, particularly for those It's two. also just, I mean- being a woman and, and yeah. you know, obviously experiencing things, you know, over the last so many years and we've all had them, they're uncomfortable and they yeah. really, it's just, it's, it's so easily treated if you can just pick it up right away. And once again, if you, if you get it wrong, you're just going to overgrow the other bacteria, then they're going to be back in the office and they're unhappy. And I would say the vast majority are not sexually transmitted. Like we talked about, yeah. they're easily treated and there's probably a reason why they were brought about. Yeah. It's so interesting because I know that, you know, sometimes either back when I was doing gynecology or even in pregnant women will do the culture and find out they have sort of both yeast infection yeah, and happens. a bacterial infection. You're sort of like, huh. Then you realize, well, they're both overgrown. Sure. And so then you have to sort of like try to treat both, but not overdo it. And you're sort of balancing. So and what usually happens in those, yeah. like, you know, you may have, and once again, women do have, you know, yeast in their vagina. Like yeah. it's a normal bacteria that does yeah, yeah. grow. It's when there's an overgrowth. So for those patients, you know, if they come out with both and sometimes I may have treated just one in the office when I saw right. them, we'll just call in the extra prescription right. to the pharmacy or they can use something over the counter. But those are rarer though to get yeah. both. It's usually one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're evaluating someone and you're going to 
treat them. Let's just go through what the treatments would be. So let's start with the yeast infection. So someone has a yeast infection. What are the options in terms of treatment modalities for them? Not like which particular medication sure, might sure. you use. So uh, you can give a medication orally. So you can right. give them a pill by mouth. Uh, you can give them- And it uh, usually works after one or two one pills, doses, right? right? It's so pretty there's impressive. A, there's different types of yeah. pills that you can take, but in general, the easiest is you can give one pill, one time, one dose. Some people may give it for a couple of days, but in yeah. general, it's a really easy treatment. Right. You can give a vaginal suppository or mm -hmm. a cream. They have an yeah. applicator that you squeeze the cream or right. inside the vagina. Those you can buy over the counter at any pharmacy. And yeah. then there's also prescription. Those can come in a one-day treatment, a three-day treatment, or a seven-day right. treatment. And the different days just equal how strong the medication is at one given time. Right. And the, and the prescription ones tend to be the same They're fairly medications. Close, yeah. yeah. Some, sometimes the difference is the prescription ones will include a little bit of a steroid in it, which is not, it doesn't help the infection, but inflammation, it helps the symptoms. Inflammation, symptoms, right? Yeah. It'll take the yeah. edge off of, uh, right. decrease the inflammation. Right. And sometimes also what's, what's interesting is some women might want to take the pill, but they can also get the cream for like externally just to like get, you know, relief quickly. I so mean, there are yeah. patients who do not, um, do not like the suppository, right? Right. Because they may put it inside. It feels drippy. It feels like yeah. it's just there. It's moist. They yeah. don't want to have to wear a panty liner. The pill right. works equally well. But if you take the pill, you may not get that symptomatic relief immediately. Mm -hmm. And if you give them a cream just for the outside of the lips, yeah. uh, you can give it to them twice a day for five to seven days. They'll you'll feel immediately better within 24 hours. Yeah. So I usually ask the patient, you know, how do you normally like to take your medication? Would you prefer a pill by mouth or would you prefer, uh, prefer a suppository? And then I also ask them like, okay, well, let me think what brought this on. If it was an antibiotic and they're done with antibiotics, they should be fine. If their diet's been really crappy or they're not eating well or drinking a lot of alcohol, usually then we try to look at it from a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to change these things. But in general, pill and vaginal or external cream are the most possible most right. you know popular. And then typically we also may consider if they don't want to take anything, you could try probiotics or yogurt or something and may take a little longer. The yogurt is something they, they you consume? You could do orally or there are people who do if you're really more naturopathic, you could try to place it vaginally. Any, is there a particular yogurt or is any yogurt? I don't, I don't advertise brands, but no, whatever. <laughs> oh, well, we should, we should, wait, we should, we should, we should get like, like Yoplait to sponsor right, us. I have to imagine yeah. it would have to be if we're doing this. No, I don't care. I guess it would have to be low sugar and more right. plainer Greek yogurt. Hey, if anyone out there works at Dannon and wants to sponsor we us. blueberry yeah. and no strawberry, but plain would be just fine. Oh. So there, there are people who believe in that. So that's for yeast infections. What about for bacterial, which is sometimes called BV? BV. Right. Okay. So bacterial vaginosis. Yep. which is another fancy word or phrase. So how would you treat that? Same idea. So uh -huh. everything can either usually be given by pill mm -hmm. or you can give them a suppository or a cream that goes inside the vagina. Usually for BV treatment, oral pills, there's two different major yeah. brands, one of which you cannot drink alcohol with. The other one mm -hmm. is less impactful for alcohol. Typically, they both run for about five to seven days of how often you, you take it. Uh, then there's the vaginal. So based on your social calendar, you may choose one over the other. Correct. And then All you'll right. be back for the yeast infection. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other choice, and may, vaginally. And, and, and potentially a positive pregnancy test. Ooh, like, <laughs> that'll be good for you. Uh, then for the vaginal, they come in uh, five days. Sometimes mm -hmm. you could do seven day. Uh, and those also are in the suppository family. Got it. Okay. So that's for bacterial. And then 
other things like trichomonas, which is actually sexually transmitted Correct. infection. The first two are not. Yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis are not sex sexually transmitted, but the trichomonas is, and that's something that it's typically treated with a pill, right? You could do a pill, and typically the recommendation is there's a certain number of pills that you take for right. a certain number of days, but the recommendation is an oral form. And for that in particular, typically I would say there's some consideration of whether you should bring the patient back. And for that one in particular, if you do test positive for trichomonas, your partner should, or if you have a significant other, they right. should be tested and treated for that as well. Right. And then for women who it's not infectious, but it's like you said, something either topical in the dermatology department, is that something you would treat or would dermatologists treat? We mm -hmm. see a lot of women who come in for different vaginal complaints, whether it's redness, chafing, age-related type of complaints. Usually we'll start with taking a look. We, we'll rule out cultures. We'll send yeah. cultures if it all doesn't come back and we think that they're either menopausal or that it could be a skin, dis like a skin disorder, dermatologic issue. You actually often can biopsy the skin, just like you yeah. would biopsy a mole or something on the skin. You can biopsy the tissue. The, the pathologist will come back with a firm diagnosis. And then for many of those, typically we give steroids and the steroids can either come in an ointment or a cream. Mm -hmm. The ointment typically I think absorbs and sticks a little bit better than you take it for a longer period of time. That's not like a three or five day. Those are much longer treatment yeah. courses. And then you follow up with a maintenance. If it's for estrogen related, like a yeah. menopausal woman, yeah. you can give a topical or a vaginal estrogen. Typically it's every day for about two weeks and then you can drop it down to twice weekly and those patients will get huge improvement right away. Right. And do you ever see um, women who have these complaints and it turns out, in fact, it's something like, like a foreign body, like there's a condom and they're irritating or a tampon or something. Cause that, I mean, you read about those and I'm just, does that actually happen? Uh, yeah. I mean, we had one probably about a month ago mm -hmm. and then another one probably a month before that. That's just me. Somehow they come in threes also. If a patient who's menstruating and uses tampons, the major complaint for those patients is I have this odor. It's specifically yeah. an odor. It's not even itching or burning. It is just a funky, very, very fishy, very strong smell. And sometimes they'll say, I, I can't remember if I took out my tampon or not. And usually on exam, you'll find the tampon. It's easy to remove and also very easy to treat. Got it. Now, I wanted to talk about uh, just a couple of unique populations. So you spoke about women who are menopausal and one of the main reasons they're unique is in addition to everything they can get, there's this idea of lower estrogen. And so sometimes you'll treat them with estrogen. What about in younger patients, so either teens or preteens? I assume you treat some of them and Correct. maybe not maybe not the very young ones, obviously. But is there anything different about that population in terms of what you think might be going on or how you might treat them? Or is it very similar? We typically will see or we'll have sometimes moms who call about their teenage or younger patients. Yeah. And pediatricians often sometimes get the first set of calls. Like yeah. their mom will call the pediatrician and say, my daughter's really complaining of this itching and irritation. And we'll see it with really younger kids. They touch themselves, yeah. you know, and their hands could be dirty or they're, they're just touching themselves in general. First introduction to tampons, same idea. Mm -hmm. They may have a foreign body. Sports, not changing their underwear often enough. Sometimes when they wipe, they'll get toilet paper stuck right inside and mm -hmm. then they just didn't quite realize it. But the same thing, you could take even if they haven't been sexually active and they're comfortable coming into the gynecologist, we can gently take a look or take a peek. And you can even take a small 
Q-tip because that's how much of the cultures right. are obtained. You could place it just inside. They usually feel comfortable. Sometimes they can introduce it themselves. Right. Meaning not a speckle, not, not a full a exam. Yeah, not nothing like that. Exam, yeah, yeah. Right. Just You're a Q-tip. not introducing yeah. anything, but something the size of a Q-tip and you can culture it or even take a look. And those young girls will also have the same idea. They'll say, I have a white discharge. It's really itchy. And those typically it's easy enough on exam where they may have taken antibiotics for strep throat, that yeah. kind of thing. And those can be uh, easy enough for a yeast infection or bacterial infection. Nothing usually more than that. Right. Okay. And then the last population I want to talk about, and this is where I can chime in as well, is pregnant women. Yeah. And so pregnant women can get all of these, obviously, same symptoms. And for some pregnant women, they actually get it more commonly, more often, right. right? It can. But in others, they think they have something because in pregnancy, like you said, everyone has a discharge and it can change. And in pregnancy, it frequently increases. Like that's a normal change of pregnancy. So many women will say, I have you know, more discharge, more discharge. It's unusual. And we'll examine them, we'll check. And it's it's a normal, healthy discharge of pregnancy. It's just something women aren't used to. Obviously. Right. I think in pregnancy specifically, we would yeah. err on the side of wanting to see you more often yeah. than not because we don't want to miss something that may yeah. be impactful, right? So yeah. if a patient says that they have an increase in discharge, but they may not know if it's liquidy or not liquidy, right? We want you to come on and make sure we didn't, you didn't break your water right. or something weird going on. But in general, due to the hormones, and there's such a surge, obviously, in hormones in pregnancy, that directly impacts how they have a discharge. And once again, I think my major questions to patients when they say I have an increased discharge and that's why they're coming in. Well, are you itchy? Are you burning? Are you having any other complaints just besides a discharge? Right. And usually if it's just discharge, it's not color, it's not change in tint, it's nothing different. Vast majority of those, you can say that it's completely normal. But I do end up doing the cultures more often than not. I do take a thorough exam. We do to a speculum exam. We take a peek. Not often do we have to do an internal exam and take a feel for the cervix or something, but right. we usually look in culture. Yeah. And at pregnancy, the, you know, a, a yeast infection is, is annoying, but not dangerous in not pregnancy. Dangerous. One of the differences is if it's a urine infection, there's back, we're more likely to send urine cultures in pregnant women because sort of the tenant is in non-pregnant women, if there's bacteria in the urine, but they have no symptoms whatsoever, you don't treat it because it'll come out eventually. But in pregnant women, we would, right? So even if someone has no symptoms whatsoever and there's bacteria in the urine over a certain amount, we treat it. So I have a very low threshold for sending urine culture in a pregnant woman. Bacterial vaginosis, there's some debate about whether that's impactful or not in a bad way in pregnancy. In some high-risk women, it may be associated with preterm Birth, particularly your water break right, early. Right, and we screen patients yeah, accordingly. So, like if you yeah, had a high risk exactly. birth, we typically will screen you ahead of time right. to see if you do if you're a carrier for bacterial vaginitis right. or vaginosis. Yeah, yeah. And so I think in general for pregnancy, we probably end up leaning more towards treating from more things than not. Right. In a regular young, healthy patient who's not pregnant, your body actually is fairly efficient. You know, it will fight off many like low lying infections. Whereas in pregnancy, you're not quite so sure you'll end up treating more right. than not. Exactly right. Overall, it's just, you know, the, the important takeaway, and I think your explanations were fantastic, is that very common, right? It's probably wise to see somebody to figure out what you have to make sure that if you're going to get treated, you get the right treatment. Many of these can go away on their own, but frequently won't. It'll just get worse and annoy you more. And the treatments are safe, pretty easy and effective. Effective. And I think that that's a really good lesson. And again, there are other things that can cause it besides just a yeast infection. So don't think it's always a yeast infection. Yeah, that's and why I think you get if, checked if, out. If you know 
what kind of has been leading up to what's bothering you right yeah. now, right? You have a new sexual partner. You took something antibiotic-wise. You, you, you kind of know your body. If you're not someone who's prone towards an infection and then something happened and there was a change, well, that's a little different. If you're someone who's more prone towards yeast infections, then you may not necessarily need to jump right. on it and call right away. If you're prone to them, maybe there's other things we can do preventatively. But in general, yeah, I think if you're unsure, you're not feeling well, it's so easy. You call, you can get an appointment mm. the same day. Come yeah. on in, we'll just check you. Yeah, awesome. Steph Lamb, thank you. As always, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.